My name is Alan Smithson, your host for the XR for Business podcast, where we interview industry leaders who are either making or using immersive, virtual, augmented, and mixed reality solutions for business. From marketing and sales, to logistics and training, to design and remote collaboration, learn how the world's largest organizations are implementing an XR for Business strategy and why you should too. Today's guest is Alexander Hawk, the founder of Retinad VR, whose mission was to help pioneer virtual and augmented reality through powerful data. Retinad VR was acquired recently by Lumiere VR in July 2018. Alex is now the COO for Lumiere VR, which is bringing quality VR content to the masses through masterful curation and distribution. You can learn more about Alex and Lumiere by visiting lumierevr.com. Alex, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me, Alan. Pleasure to be here. It's my absolute pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having me. You're one of my favorite LinkedIn personalities <laughs> so I'm, uh, and a fellow Canadian, so I'm excited to talk shop with you. Canadians are taking over the VR scene in a big way. It's really exciting. The purpose of this podcast is to provide as much value to businesses and business owners and people in companies that are looking to explore and expand on virtual and mixed reality and augmented reality and figure out how these technologies can be used for them. So perhaps let's just take a look back at Retinad VR and what you guys were doing there and what led you to what you're doing now. Right. Yeah, that's a great jump off point. So Retinad VR actually got started in Montreal in 2014. Our mission was, as you said at the beginning, was to bring VR analytics and data to virtual reality. And what I mean by that is understanding these new data points that could be interpreted from a VR headset. And what we found is understanding people's movement in VR is something that we can actually grab from a headset and then translating that into actionable insights was basically the mission of the entire company for the last three years up until the acquisition. And things are very much still along that path, but a little bit more, I guess, pigeonholed into Lumiere specific use case for right now. So maybe talk about Lumiere and what you guys are doing there. I know you've done a recent project with synchronizing a ton of headsets at a fairly famous location. So I'll let you talk to that. So we did about 250 VR headsets all synced up for Madison Square Garden for Lumiere VR, which brings yeah, enterprise software to large venues and media entertainment folks. So MSG is a really good use case. Museums, aquariums, science centers, planetariums, those are really good places where VR lives as complementary to an existing exhibit. The example with Madison Square Garden, for instance, was they have a 90-minute tour within the venue. So a lot of people don't actually know this, but I think the international community knows this a little bit more. Madison Square Garden, I think, is in the top five or top 10 most visited, most iconic places in New York City. And I didn't know this. Being a, obviously a Canadian hockey fan, I thought you just go, you, you show up to Madison Square Garden, great, beautiful venue, and you enjoy a concert or, or game and you go home. Uh, but apparently what you could do is they have off-hours visits throughout the day that are 90 minutes that are called the all-access tour. And they show you the history of this is where Muhammad Ali boxed. This is where goalie Henrik Lundqvist for the New York Rangers. Here's his like million dollar Swarovski 10 cut diamond goalie mask is. This is where the Knicks played and so on and so forth. And they give you a really beautiful encompassing tour. We were commissioned to bring a five minute VR experience that they had filmed, giving behind the scenes look at the Rangers, the Knicks, and Billy Joel live on stage in 360 VR. And basically, from anybody that's powering a VR experience, whether you've had experience with this or not, you know that the user experience is really poor. 
What Lumiere did in a nutshell was surface a much easier user interface and user experience by bringing all the VR tech to an operator. So what I mean by that is instead of having every single person that would go through this all access tour and the VR portion specifically have to like, what are you looking at? Do you see it? Did you click play? Or like anybody who's run a VR event knows how horrible that is. What we did is we surfaced that to an iPad and then a person can just click play. And then all the VR headsets synchronize and play at the exact same time. And then the show ends at the exact same time. So it makes it a very seamless experience. That to me is something that at the very beginning when VR was kicking off, when Samsung did this huge presentation and they had hundreds or probably a thousand headsets all synchronized. So you guys have taken that, simplified it and made it available as a kind of standalone app. Is that the case? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a service and an app. I'd say right now, the goal is to make it app-based where anybody and their dog, so to speak, can pick this up and click play and, and have their own event to run. So what we did with Pacific Science Center is a really good example of that. But the reality is, is that we're not there right now for the industry. Is that there's still a lot of hand-holding to be done, and there's still no consensus amongst which headset is kind of the iPod or iPhone right now. Got it. We're still making custom experiences for everybody. So does it work with the Oculus Go? It does. Yeah, we actually have a, a pretty good relationship with the folks at Oculus. I have to say, as somebody who's doing a podcast about the business use cases of XR technologies, this is glaringly obvious to me. But for those of you who are listening, imagine going into a boardroom or a presentation hall where you want to present to 10 people, 20 people, 100 people all at once, and you want them to have a fully immersive experience where they're not checking their phones. They're not paying attention to other things. They are fully immersed in the content that you want to deliver to them. This seems like a natural fit for that. Oh yeah, absolutely. So the presentation use case is one that we actually started with. So Travis, who's the founder of Lumiere VR with Jenny, they had this exact pain point when they're trying to present to investors and try them. I'm sure you have this problem too, Alan. You, this is very familiar for you. Presenting something that's as three-dimensional and as spatial as 360 VR or 3D VR, and then putting it on a 2D screen and being like, look, you can touch this, I swear. It is a very, that's the pain point in general. There's nothing like putting VR on someone's head and letting them experience it for themselves. Synchronizing that in a boardroom of two people up to five or 10 or 500 it is an amazing use case. I think that's something that I think more companies are going to start to use. And of course, they can reach out to you at LumiereVR.com. But if you took this and said, okay, what kind of industries would benefit from this the most? What do you think would benefit from this? Well, I think what we found success in so far is definitely what's benefiting. So existing aquariums, museums, planetariums, those who are already running exhibits that let's say, so I'll give you a really good example. So at the Pacific Science Center, where they might not be able to have a dolphin or whales anymore for ethical concerns, ever since there's been a big backlash with a Netflix documentary that aired called Blackfish, I believe it was called. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you saw that documentary, but yeah, basically exposing how the mistreatment of these marine life and aquatic life inside of these venues, there's been a massive public backlash against that kind of exhibit. So what we did is we partnered with the filmmakers of The Click Effect. And The Click Effect is a 360 video. It's about six minute piece from 2015, won a lot of awards that showcased one of the first full underwater 360 VR diving experience with dolphins and talking about the clicking noise that a dolphin will make to communicate. And what that does is it puts you in a vantage point that you'd never otherwise be able to see unless you did some kind of deep sea diving yourself, which a lot of people have not done. And it puts you face to face with dolphins. 
that experience for families and people of all ages is one that resonates. It just, it makes a lot of sense. And you don't actually need to have an entire ecosystem now or economy around bringing these wildlife out and taking them out of their existing systems, shocking them, and then putting them in this unnatural exhibit for people to watch and see. You can put someone in a five-minute VR experience. So that use case is complementary or even, I guess, replacing an existing experience that otherwise would be very difficult is a really natural place for VR to live. And same thing for Madison Square Garden, right? It's a five-minute experience. It doesn't have to be a whole big one-hour-long crazy shebang. It just can be a five-minute thing that lives next to an existing exhibit. So I'd say that that's a really good use case for right now. Interesting. And I think another one is in the classrooms. I think there's a huge opportunity here for teachers to be able to put VR on their students' heads put down the phone, put a VR and then let them experience things like being underwater or going back in history or into space. These are wonderful experiences. But again, the problem that you guys have solved is that problem of having a teacher or a leader or somebody manage that experience. And I think one of the things as the company that has done thousands of demos, that's always the problem. You put a VR headset on somebody and then <laughs> I don't know how they ever do it. There's no buttons and they end up in a different room and you're like, I don't have any idea how you got there, but, and you can never tell where they are. <laughs> right. So tell me what you see and, oh my God, what, well, what did you hit? <laughs> Absolutely. What, tell me what you see. And then they're like, I see a screen. I'm in this room. I'm in a room. It's, it's incredible. <laughs> the worst is when you put it on somebody's head and they sit there for five minutes not, and they don't tell you that it hasn't started playing. <laughs> right. They're expecting you to, to hold their hands. That's how we got started with the Pacific Science Center is, is exactly that. Travis was out in Seattle managing this and having anybody from a 13-year-old to a 90-year-old trying VR for the first time or even maybe second or third time, it doesn't really matter. Getting them settled in and bringing that experience to them in a seamless way is actually very challenging. And to your point, by the way, what you mentioned, Google Expeditions for the classroom, they started off by tackling that problem of bringing VR and synchronizing it across headsets. But that use case is, the EDU use case is one that, is very near and dear to me. And something that how VR lives in a classroom, we're actually working with North Carolina State University. And the, one of the biggest reasons why they can't get it to take off in the classroom is other than this one evangelist, God bless his heart. And Mike, if you're listening, thank you for, for being a VR champion in Raleigh. But other than him, getting this off to a professor that has to bring this to 10 students or 15 or 300 students in, a, in an auditorium symposium, it becomes a massive challenge, right? It's very stressful. So. That use case that you mentioned is a great one. Awesome. So I'm going to look at in a little bit more specifics and challenges. So you've got quite a bit of experience in the analytics side and really looking at what are people doing? What are some of the best analytics or metrics that you've seen? What are some of the experiences that people resonate most with? Are there any experiences where people take the headset off middle way through? What are some of the best use cases and the metrics around that? Are you finding that people watch it all the way through? Do they look behind them? What are you seeing? Yeah, that's a great question. And one that I, what I was alluding to at the beginning of the podcast with Retinad and those kind of best practices for advertisers and marketers is there's something called the cone of focus that I guess we coined within the industry amongst ourselves and VR artists that we worked with. So folks that like Jessica Brillhart over at Google Jump VR we were working with on the early days is figuring out where do people actually look within a VR headset? 
where do they actually focus their attention? If I have 10 important elements in one specific scene, is one of them more important than the other? How do I actually draw their attention there? So to answer your question first, uh, do people look behind them? Mostly no, but if you can get them to look around and turn around, what we found is that generally those experiences tend to be the most valuable in the sense that people don't bounce from the experience as much as they would in an experience that I call like the television screen or 2D screen where they're just forced to look forward. That seems to be much less of a compelling VR experience because again, what's the value of doing it in VR if not to make people move around? The whole purpose of VR is to give a almost a lifelike simulation, if not give as close as a lifelike simulation as you can. So one of the best practices that we found is that getting a user to move around within the first five seconds is instrumental to success and to completion. So if I have an audio cue that comes from around me, that actually works out better than a, a visual cue that I have no idea is behind me. So audio is one of the most important things from an analytics or from a KPI or key metric standpoint from an artistic and cinematic point of view. And even for marketers, right? If you're trying to engage your audience for that beautiful 30 seconds and really make them engage throughout a 360 video or whatever kind of ad unit that you have, getting them to just move around and engage with your ad is just instrumental within those first five seconds. Otherwise you've lost them. Interesting. That's so interesting. So basically using audio cues over visual cues in the first five seconds of experience really sets the tone for where people are going to look moving forward. Right. That assumes that the user is in headset has a decent pair of headphones on or has headphones or some audio at all. But in perfect circumstances, that is absolutely true. And even for smartphone driven magic window, like 360 quote unquote VR type of stuff, that is very important. Audio is very important as well. Yeah, I think people don't realize the power of audio until it's wrong. I, I remember I did an experience and I put the headphones on backwards. <laughs> and so the voices were coming from the wrong directions. Oh, and it just messed with my head and totally took me out of the experience altogether. <laughs> yeah, that's another thing, right? From the user experience stuff that Lumiere is tackling is how do you get people to put on the headphones the right way? Big R, big L. <laughs> I don't know. What else can you do? <laughs> yeah. What are some of the other challenges you guys have faced? And the reason why I'm asking these questions is because if I'm a business operator or somebody, you know, I'm in marketing or I'm in sales or HR or training, and I want to start using VR in my business, what are some of the challenges that you guys have experienced that you can share that would help somebody avoid them in the future or at least skip past them? Yeah, I guess it's funny because the company Lumiere was born out of all of those issues. Travis and Jenny are filmmakers and cinematographers first, more so than they are technologists. And I think Travis is a technologist and Jenny is an artist. And that marriage between, between those two founders is a great one between those skill sets. And it was this platform that is the Lumiere LBE synchronized software that was built was almost came out of accidental experiment. And that was because they were bringing film first to the Pacific Science Center, that was the real challenge, right? How do I actually create a VR activation was the first order of problems that they were trying to solve. And the second, what they realized was, again, the second order of problems is running a great user experience was actually the first order of problems. And if you couldn't get that to work first and foremost, then everything else was a much smaller problem. It almost became, why do I need VR if it's this complicated? Interesting that you say that because I think the industry as a whole went through this phase of really trying to figure out, can we make this work? How do we make it work? It's working. 
Now what do we do with it? Right. That's really the phases that we've gone through as an industry. You, I think you had an opportunity to try the HoloLens too. And when they came on stage, what, Mobile World Congress already been a month now in uh, Barcelona. Yep. What they were saying was, we're now excited to introduce the natural user interface and it's called like intuitive gesture control and it's just your hands. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> seeing technologists refer to hands as this natural gesture interface is hilarious. Yeah, it's exactly what you said. How does VR get past its like weird, awkward adolescence? It's literally just by eliminating these annoying controllers and all these annoying interfaces that seem really cool when you're developing them. But then when you give them to my mom or dad or your mom or dad, it's just like, what? What am I supposed to do? It's just, it just kills, kills it. Uh, I can't tell you the number of HoloLens demos where people just can't figure out just the simple click thing. Yeah. Oh, God. The thumb and index finger. Yeah, it was, you know, it was a great idea. And I, I'm like, click like a mouse. Like, no, but stick your finger up straight. Ah, so I, I, <laughs> I feel your pain on that one. So I, I'm going to shift gears a second here because I really want to pick your brain about something. What do you think is the most important thing that businesses can do now to start leveraging the power of XR, meaning virtual augmented mixed realities? <sighs> Talk to people like you, <laughs> honestly. I say that not tongue in cheek. Being very quite honest, I think within the industry, we think the industry itself has grown up because we've been so close to it and near and dear for the last, in what is this version three or four of, of VR, AR growing up over the last few decades. So I think just understanding what are the actual use cases that my business can implement today, as opposed to treating this kind of like a futuristic thing. VR, when I speak to clients, sounds like quote unquote, the, the killer word interesting or cool or fun, but they don't actually know what the use case would be. Uh, and if they do, then it becomes that very complex product. So starting with something really simple of a use case, identifying, and then having people like yourself, you know, consultants come in and say, identify those problematic areas within a business right now, or areas that aren't necessarily a cause for concern, but can be updated. So really good example is let's say Striver, right? with their 17,000 Oculus Go activations across every single Walmart across America. How important is employee training? Somebody probably has the exact number in dollars and cents about how big of a problem making sure your workforce is well-trained for the future or even for right now is, but probably in the billions. In the billions, for sure. But how much is that pain actually felt and quantified and how much of it is it a business problem today I'm not, I don't know. It could be different for different businesses. Clearly Walmart identified that as a must have problem and it put in, I think the single largest order of VR headsets, right? Is that, I think 17,000 is the number to beat. Yeah, it's funny. We, it was brought up in the last podcast that uh, Andy Mathis from Oculus kind of brokered that whole deal. And we were talking on the last podcast about the reasons why you would use VR for training. And, and those reasons are when Training for something is rare, so it's a rarity. So, for example, Walmart trains for Black Friday. It happens right. once a year, so it's a rare event that they want to train for. The other thing is that it's impossible to train for. Let's say you're a, a nuclear reactor and you need to train on what happens when there's a, a problem. And dangerous environment, training people on underground uh, wells or whatever, training them in places that is dangerous to train in. And then the fourth one is expensive. And so if you look at it from rare impossible to train for, dangerous environments, and expensive, you come up with an acronym of RIDE, R-I-D-E. So that came up. I love that. Yeah, me too. And I thought, man, this is really great. 
So that was uh, that was from Steve Grubbs at Victory VR. It's VictoryXR.com. Oh, let's steal what, what he said. <laughs> Just copy paste right now. <laughs> but I, I really also like your comment of the cone of focus, meaning when you put a VR headset on people, or if you look at statistics of 360 videos in general, most people just stare straight in front of them if there's no reason for them to turn around. And I know from my first VR experience, I put on the headset and my mouth was probably wide open. I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And then somebody, thank God, grabbed me by the shoulders and just turned me around in a circle. And then I realized, I was like, oh my God, it's all around me. Ah, So I had this, Wow moment but i think the cone of focus is, is a real thing and i never heard it called that until now but it's, it's definitely true but think about that for most people i think you're an early adopter of, of most technologies and, and for you to grab and turn around like that doesn't necessarily break your sense of presence but how do you get that without needing to physically shove someone or push them around it becomes the biggest and that's where you come up with your audio cube i thought that was a great solution to that problem oh yeah it's wonderful positional audio right so the dolby atmos toolkit or the facebook 360 toolkit all that spatial audio stuff it's so important and it and so widely overlooked by the industry it's it's mind-blowing a lot more attention needs to be paid to that so i gonna ask you a personal question what is the best business use case of xr that you have seen oh it's a good question Outside of our stuff and your stuff, I'd have to say, um, honestly, looking back to the enterprise training stuff, I'd say that that's probably the best use case. So actually, I'll switch gears. We spoke about it. So I'll talk about social VR. So one of the best use cases, I think, is how do you and I have this meeting? How do you and I have this podcast in VR? How do we make it feel like we're actually sitting face to face and having this interview and looking at each other, getting that cerebral moment of looking at each other left eye to left eye? and actually empathizing and connecting with each other. What Facebook just powered with their lifelike avatars, did you see that by any chance, what they announced or from their R&D lab? Yeah, that's pretty awesome. It's crazy. So like <laughs> they managed to take avatars and kick them over the uncanny valley, which is especially humans and human avatars get closer and closer to photorealism they get actually further and further away. So if you and I meet in a VR experience and we're both cartoons, it, we accept it. We're like, oh, you're a cartoon, I'm a cartoon. But as we get closer to looking photo real, there's certain nuances about real people that are missed on virtual avatars. Maybe the wink or the, how the face moves or how the mostly when they're talking. And so you get this kind of creepy effect and that's called the uncanny valley. What Facebook has done with their new real-time algorithms is they've just like made it look real they've just skipped that whole thing it's incredible yeah oh yeah it's beautiful so that from a consumer perspective it is tremendous but from an enterprise perspective i think it's actually even, even bigger you and i being able to troubleshoot a problem becomes much more lifelike and, and human in that sense being able to connect with each other over a presentation so we're not just some janky avatar and a vr headset it actually becomes you know, our lifelike representations, that for enterprise and for a business solution becomes so important and becomes the entire value proposition and is the underpinning, the linchpin to this entire industry. It's like why VR slash why AR, XR, whatever you want to call it, it becomes that, right? It's I can transport myself anywhere in the world and make it feel as if I'm there. So I don't need to jump on a flight to do consulting anymore. Like the consulting industry, I think is going to change in a massive way because of that. And I even had an advisor. So my, my brother works at Uber in the autonomous driving division. 
and we like to have this what's cooler debate sometimes between brothers. And one of my advisors sat him down and he was like, well, listen, VR is going to completely displace your industry because no one's going to even drive cars in the future. <laughs> like, there's going to be no use to even meet each other with cars anymore. <laughs> like, the completely crazy extremist futuristic view. I don't think we'll ever become that extreme, but I think it will help it make human connection just something every day that my father, I don't know, could be in India and I could be talking to him. So that type of stuff from a social and consumer and enterprise use case is just, is just huge. I agree. And there's one company in particular that's doing that in mixed reality called Spatial. And I really love what they're doing. And uh, they're actually, they've agreed to be on the show as well. So I'm looking forward to, to learning about what their plans are. They've basically taken virtual avatars from a photo. So they can take your Facebook photo, turn you into an avatar, and then you can see your avatar in 3D space and using the HoloLens uh, or Magically, if you can actually reach out and use those digits on your hands to actually interact with things. And it's really impressive what they're doing. Podcast using spatial. Isn't that amazing? Wouldn't that be so cool? I'm in your living room right now or whatever. Yeah, that stuff is the real promise. And I'm excited for that to become a reality. Let me ask you a quick question here. What problem in the world do you want to see solved using XR technologies? Uh, <laughs> that's a great question. And I think VR for good is something I really care about. Everything that Chris Bell talks about, VR being the empathy machine, for the folks in the industry, it's maybe a tired sentence, but for most people that haven't heard that term, it's just how do you use VR for good and to connect with each other and understand really another person's perspective. When I wear a headset and I'm transported to Syria or a place in the world that's going under very challenging political climate right now, to say the least, and hearing a story from a native who's out there and their perspective of what they are going through or have gone through, I think just helps us become better people. And I think a lot of social issues today comes from a stance of ignorance or non-understanding. So if there is something that VR that I'm most excited about and AR, it's being able to connect each other from that perspective. A lot of people, sometimes you just can't communicate because of language. But if I put a VR headset on you and transport you to my reality that I experience every day, there's a lot of companies that are doing a really good job of tackling that issue right now. So things like sexual discrimination in the workplace. Yeah. What does it feel like when someone in a superior in a position of power is interviewing you or sitting you down and questioning you? What, what does that feel like from a superior point of view? So a superior puts on the headset and then does that interview and then watches themselves conduct that interview. It can become very eye-opening because a lot of the actions that you're doing, you might not realize that those are behaviors that, oh, <laughs> I didn't realize I looked like that or I was conveying that message to somebody. Or when you sit in the position of, let's say, the interviewee or the, somebody who's not in the, necessarily in a position of power in that instance, and you observe the world from that lens, you can empathize like, holy crap, this is, this is what this looks like. This is what this feels like. And of course, you can throw stones my way for, for whatever you want. Say, well, it's, how could you actually empathize? Well, I think I challenge people to try that. The science is there too. It's interesting that you mentioned Chris Milk because uh, just a quick story, he kind of coined the phrase virtual reality as the empathy machine. And he basically brought a Syrian refugee camp into the United Nations in VR and made everybody watch this. And it spawned uh, a number of donations and some really powerful people rallying around that. And it, it was really wonderful. And 
just a little aside, uh, Chris Milk was the first person to ever show me VR. No way. It was the first time I saw VR. No way. That's awesome. Yeah, it was incredible. And that was the moment where I had this aha moment where I thought, oh my God, this is going to be the future of human communication. This is how we mm -hmm. connect the world together. And it really is doing that. So. That's a pretty cool badge you get to wear. Mission accomplished. Chris Milk was right. the person who made me try VR first. That's really cool. And, and it was funny because it was Robert Scoble and myself at uh, Curiosity Camp, which is put on by Eric Schmidt from Google. So it was like this tech wonderland in the middle of the forest. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's a story you get to tell your kids. That's awesome. That's incredible. Indeed. Or grandkids. And here's the other thing. I, I can capture myself volumetrically and provide that as a digital version of myself for my children when they're younger, they can go in and have perhaps an AI driven conversation with me long after I'm gone, maybe being able to store ourselves in the virtual world. I don't know. I love that stuff. Yeah. I don't know about the AI part, but that's, that's maybe a different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's a totally different podcast. I'm actually going to be doing, uh, I'm taking a couple hundred photographs of my daughter's bedrooms so that we can create them volumetrically. And then they can go in their bedrooms when they're 20, 30, 40 years old. They can go in their actual bedrooms from when they were 10 and 14. Wow. Yeah. Preserving history with digital artifacts is another amazing use case. Aside from connecting us right now, being able to basically you know, do uh, time travel is what this equates to. Absolutely. It's probably the, is probably the coolest use case. Yeah. That's a great, great one. Well, Alex, I, I really want to thank you for taking the time. Is there anything else you want to say to close this off to listeners who are listening? We've talked about VR. We've talked about using groups of, of VR headsets to get your message across. We've talked about using it in planetariums and science centers and museums. We've talked about the cone of focus, getting people to turn around in the first five seconds using audio cues. We've talked about uh, avatars and their power of that using VR for good. Is there anything else you want to leave listeners with? Yeah, I'd say that if you're in an enterprise right now, a Fortune 500, Fortune 1000, or even in a small business, it doesn't really matter. If you're thinking about how do I use this today, don't be shy. There's definitely a use case that you, you have that XR can transform. I implore you to reach out to myself or to Alan and connect. We've seen it all, I think, within the industry. And if we don't have the answer, we definitely know companies that will be able to provide an answer. I really implore companies to start asking those questions and become digitally prepared because you don't want it to pass you over and then be looking back and be like, damn it, I should listen to that podcast. <laughs> nobody wants to be Blockbuster. <laughs> yes, nobody wants to be Blockbuster. That's for sure. Well, thank you very much. And thank you everyone for listening. This has been another episode of the XR for Business podcast with your host, Alan Smithson. This podcast was another amazing example of how XR technologies are revolutionizing businesses across every industry. You can learn more about Alex and Lumiere VR by visiting lumierevr.com. Thank you so much, Alex. Thank you, Alan. Pleasure. <laughs>